Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Thursday, October 10th. And oh, baby, strike up the four seasons or the April line, I suppose. Take your pick because... Ooh, what a night. Everything's going to be all right. Yes, uh, this is your Locked On Canucks for the morning after. The Canucks skate away with an 8-2 victory over the Los Angeles Kings in their home opener. A night where everything that could have went right for the home team did go right. And uh, not just kudos to the team itself for playing as well as they did, but a hats off to that Rogers Arena crowd for really bringing a significant atmosphere to Wednesday night's action. They were tremendous last night. The chants were off the chain all night long from the moment Bo Horvat was called to center ice to take his place alongside Orland Curtinback and Henrik Sedin and receive his new jersey with a C over his heart. That place was chanting, Horvat, Horvat, Horvat. They were chanting for Markstrom, in fact, after a fantastic series of saves on the penalty kill in the first period as well. They were dialed in and bringing an energy that uh, has not been felt inside Rogers Arena since, I guess, the Sedin retirement game, the final home game of Henrik and Daniel Sedin, and what a magical night that was. But it had a playoff atmosphere, and I, I know we have... Had a, a great deal of mileage. Uh, we've gotten all kinds of mileage out of those Francesco Aquilini tweets from last year's home opener about, ooh, so tight, it feels like a playoff game. But last night, okay, the actual action on the ice did not feel like a playoff game, but the crowd itself certainly did with the chants all night long, chanting, we want 10 after the uh, team scored their eighth goal late in the third period, chanting na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na, hey, 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 goodbye to the L.A. Kings to just sing them on out of town. Uh, what a crowd, what a night. Uh, they really, you know, they lived up to the power of the moment as much as anyone else. And if you were in that crowd last night, then hats off to you. You acquitted yourself well, and you made the Vancouver fan base at large very proud of your activities and festivities on this particular evening. Uh, not just the crowd that deserves kudos, however. Kudos to the Canucks as well. I know I gave them a, a little bit of hell last week, perhaps, in dragging this on forever, this you know year-and-a-half process of finding a new captain when I think we all knew from the very moment that Henrik and Daniel Sedin announced their retirement that it was always going to be this guy. It was always going to be Bo Horvat announced as the brand new captain of the Vancouver Canucks. He has been destined for this leadership role from the moment he was drafted. In fact, Spencer Gillis on Twitter last night, uh, the son of Mike Gillis, said that Lawrence Gilman, Lauren Henning, Mike Gillis, they all said from the very beginning, as soon as Bo Horvat was drafted, they knew this guy will at one point wear the C for the Vancouver Canucks. And some great insight, Spencer. Thank you very much for that. It's rare that we get to hear from his dad, Mike, uh, in terms of anything that went on with the team uh, during his tenure there. There's a great, I guess, tell-all book to be written at some point down the line when Mike Gillis feels like telling it. But in the meantime, appreciate his son offering a little tidbit like that. And for as much 
uh, grief that I gave the team for dragging this out forever, making it feel like uh, an elongated pro wrestling storyline where everything's on the rails from moment one and they treat it like it's all kinds of drama and suspense and question marks and, oh boy, who's it going to be? We know. We know what's going to happen. We knew from the get-go. And yet, even as someone who believed that, and even as someone who believes that the captaincy itself doesn't mean a whole particular uh, lot, honestly, because... (laughs) you're going to be a leader on the ice whether you have a letter or not. And I know that uh, there's some fans disappointed perhaps that uh, the next crop, the next wave of leaders on this team, whether it's a Pedersen, a Besser, or a Troy Stetcher, do not have A's on their jerseys. Those guys are still vocal leaders in the locker room. Those guys are still integral parts of this team. And their contributions, uh, both as players and as leaders, is not uh, eradicated by the fact that they do not have a letter to wear on their jersey. Even as someone who believes all of these things, the very moment that, of course, Al Murdoch called Bo Horvat to skate out to center ice and receive that jersey, uh, how could you not feel emotional in that moment? How is that not loaded with all of the emotion that you would want from a moment like that? And... Uh, Kudos to the Canucks for kind of orchestrating this thing perfectly because very similar circumstances, I suppose, to when Henrik Sedin was given the captaincy uh, in the home opener back in 2010. And in fact, Henrik received his captaincy from Orland Kurtenbach. It was the two of them combining to hand the C over to Bo Horvat uh, on opening night. Just a, a very emotionally resonant moment that uh, I, I was not expecting to find so... Uh, rousing and affecting, and the Canucks really deserve a, a huge amount of credit for putting this thing together and and working out the scheduling with the league so that they could be playing the very same opponent 49 years to the day that they played their very first NHL game uh, in their home opener. That It was all just perfectly orchestrated, and of course, uh, the the pregame ceremony as well as the team uh, skated out. Every single player on the Canucks had their name read out as part of the player intros to start this one, and they were joined on the ice. I was going to say not by captains, but I guess actually one of these guys did wear the C, quite famously, in fact, and the other one is a proverbial captain as well. First, it was Dennis Kearns out wearing the old blue, green, and whites from uh, you know the inaugural seasons. Stan Smeal followed him in a black flying V with the C on it as well. Then Captain Kirk, yes, Kirk McLean in full goalie gear, headed out onto the ice wearing the black spaghetti skate. Todd Bertuzzi was after him in a home white 2006 jersey. I guess actually 2006, they might have switched by then to wearing white on the road. I'm not exactly sure. Either way, uh, one of the white jerseys from 2006 for Todd Bertuzzi, who got a deafening ovation from the Rogers Arena crowd. Uh, This city, of course, uh, Todd may have left under contentious circumstances And there's all kinds of mixed emotions still to this day regarding the Bertuzzi-Moore incident and how we should feel about him as a whole. But I think there's been enough time, enough distance, that this town really appreciates his contributions strictly as a hockey player and what he did for this franchise on the ice. You know, uh, Daniel Sedin talked about it uh, during the intermission last night on the radio broadcast with Sadiar Shah. Todd Bertuzzi, just simply a guy who, when he was on, 
could do anything. One of the most dominant players in the league, and sure, the height of his powers only lasted for a couple seasons there, but if you were around to watch them, those seasons would have made you a hockey fan for life in this city, and in fact, it's a huge part of why the fan base is as big and as rabid as it is today. Those West Coast Express years were formative for so many people in this town, and uh, great to see Todd get an ovation like that last night. He certainly deserved it, and I thought he was fantastic on the radio during the intermission as well. Man, the guy is just great on, uh, on <laughs> as a media member for someone who hated the media for pretty well his entire career. He, he could be a star analyst if he chose to go that way. I think he enjoys his free time a little bit, though, so only a handful of uh, radio appearances he makes here and there, and you can hear most of them, in fact, on Tuesday morning on Sportsnet 650. Uh, but enough about that. Uh, Todd Bertuzzi was followed onto the ice by Daniel Sedin. Daniel Rockin, of course, uh, the jersey that we know and love that uh, the team just hung up, in fact, the one with the Vancouver word mark over it. Might have been one, a game-worn jersey from his final season. I would imagine that all of these players uh, brought their jerseys themselves because uh, they certainly fit the eras and looked uh, about as authentic as it gets. But a tremendous ceremony to start things off before, of course, the captains took center ice. And this kind of emotion that got the crowd fired up, it carried over into the game itself. And yes, I need to, uh, I guess, offer some sort of apology for going uh, all in on the team's lack of offensive prowess over the last couple days here that I've been doing the show. But how could you not react that way? to the way that they played in the first two games of the season. Yes, did they hit the crossbar a couple times? Sure, but they did that again tonight, and they scored eight goals. Every team hits the post. Every team hits the crossbar. You cannot hold that up as an example of just, well, they got unlucky, you know, like, if only that had gone in. That happens to every team in every game. Come on, guys. Yes. Uh, maybe we were a little bit over-examining uh, the results or lack thereof offensively, but that's going to happen as well when you make strategic decisions coming out of training camp to send down two offensively inclined players like a Sven Berchi, like a Nikolai Goldobin, in favor of bottom six muckers that you claim to require for the penalty kill. If you go on to not score any goals in the games that follow, I think it's a fair question to ask whether that was tactically the right thing to do. And look, I don't want to read too much into this game either because as much as after two games, it was fair to put your hands up and say it's just two games, we don't know what this team is just yet. Even after a night where they explode offensively, it's just three games. We don't know what this team is yet. Of course, if you want to find out what this team is in person, the fine folks at Vivid Seats want to help you do just that. Yes, get into Rogers Arena and cheer on your Canucks with the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. You can attend the concert or show or hockey game of your choice and earn credit towards your next live event at the same time. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all of the live events that you want to go to, and you can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice all in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. Vivid Seats Rewards. 
So go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app today. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, and every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. So download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime, like seeing your Canucks put up eight goals on the LA Kings. And let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Enter promo code POSTSEASON at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Yes, that promo code again, the place that the Canucks just might get to if they play enough games like they did on Wednesday against the Kings. That promo code is POSTSEASON for up to $100 off your purchase at checkout. And I'm open to the possibility of this team being very good this year, being much better than we expected coming into the season, but... If we were critical after the opening two games, it's because expectations have changed already. You know, I think back to the way the Toronto Maple Leafs were when they finally made the playoffs with their current young core and the way expectations changed immediately from the first year they made the playoffs into the second year. It was okay. Nice to be here. Terrific. Good job, kids. The second year, it was we want the cup. Now, we're not at that we want the cup stage just yet here in Vancouver, but the expectations have changed radically relative to what they were a year ago. It is not enough to just have a couple kids that are nice to watch. This city wants results because they think that these kids can deliver them already. And when you look at a game like Wednesday night, Maybe it can, honestly. I mean, this was, as I said, a game where everything went right for the Canucks that possibly could have gone right, including play being stopped in the middle of the action so that the war room could chime in and hand an extra goal to the Canucks. When does the war room ever do anything in Vancouver's favor? It just shows you what kind of wacky game it was. But, you know, as much as you look at the fact that this was depth scoring from up and down the lineup, I mean, Chris Tanev got a goal as a net front presence. He was leading the rush and was parked right out front of Jonathan Quick to receive a, a basically a tap-in pass from Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes may have just banked it in off of Tanev's stick. Uh, you know, for a guy who has not been gifted with a remarkable shot of his own, Chris Tanev I'm talking about, this is going to be the most interesting test, I think, of just how good Quinn Hughes is. How many goals will Chris Tanev score this season? Because if he continues to play with uh, Hughes all season long, I guess the only thing that would prevent that from continuing would be injuries, as Tanev has run into a number of those over the years. But if he can play with uh, Hughes on a consistent basis, I have the feeling that Quinn Hughes has the talent to make it look easy for Chris Tanev to score goals like he did last night. Now, uh, interesting things to note if you look at the ice time of the Vancouver Canucks defenseman, uh, the third pairing, two guys who are overqualified for third pairing roles, Troy Stetcher I'm a huge fan of and would love, would love to see get the opportunity to play with Quinn Hughes before the year is done. In fact, since Quinn was drafted, I have been ringing that bell for a Hughes Stetcher pairing. I know that those guys are both short. I know that they're smaller than your average NHL defenseman, but I think their games suit each other perfectly, and it's something that I would love to see down the line. So, hey, maybe 
uh, an injury to Chris Tanev at some point this season wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And we might get to see some of the Canucks depth options as well in that scenario that made them so comfortable trading away Alex Biega earlier this week. But when you look at the way the defensive minutes were managed in this game, Quinn Hughes ultimately played the least amount of time of anyone in this game. In fact, played less than Troy Stetcher in this game, which seems impossible. Stetcher finishing the night with 16-27 in ice time. Hughes just behind him by a pair of seconds, 16-25. And Stetcher, of course, got held off of the penalty kill uh, over the weekend. Only played less than 11 minutes in both of the opening two games of the year. He did get out there for one PK shift. On Wednesday night, it only lasted 18 seconds, but nice to see him being looked at as a more versatile player than somebody who's stuck in a number six role, because especially when you look at the guys that they have playing top minutes on this team, whether it's an Alex Edler or a Chris Tanev, injuries are going to come no matter what, just the way that those two guys play and the, the way that their bodies are and the ages that they are, but you have to manage your minutes a little bit better. You know, load management has been just the buzzword around Canadian sports in general since Kawhi Leonard was doing it in the regular season, never mind what he went on to do in the postseason, leading the Raptors to a championship. Obviously, basketball, a very different sport, but when you look at the way that guys who have been broken down and beaten up but have top skill sets, whether that's an Alex Edler or a Chris Tanev here in Vancouver, guys that you want to see return to their former glory, or whether it's uh, you know an Eric Carlson down in San Jose on a team that should, by all intents and purposes, probably should make the playoffs, given that they have two of the best defensemen in the world eating up about 50 minutes of ice time on a nightly basis, you can probably expect Eric Carlson not to play as many games as he perhaps wants to or uh, has in the past. Now, that's neither here nor there. What I'm talking about is ice time and limiting the ice time of Alex Edler and Chris Tanev so that they can not just remain healthy but get back to playing like they were a couple years ago because injuries take their toll, and then these guys come back. They're not even 100%, and they they look like shells of their former selves. Tanev in particular, if he can have a great year this year, that's part of you know the miracles of Quinn Hughes, this rejuvenating presence, but it also should be part of the fact that he's not on the top pairing any longer. Though who knows, we might see that on other nights. You know, I, Quinn Hughes uh, at the at the bottom of the list for defensive ice time uh, from the back end tonight. But that pairing, I mean, they played an awful lot in the opening two games, so maybe Tanev will play a bunch down the stretch. But uh, the third pairing eating up a bunch of those minutes instead, and Quinn Hughes. Uh, it's it's remarkable to think that he played significantly less in Wednesday night's game last night uh, than he did in the first two games of the season because this might have been his biggest impact to date. I mean, the Canucks didn't get much power play time. They only had two-man advantage opportunities, and that actually might be the reason why he didn't play as much as he did in games previous. Uh, only a buck 58. So basically the full two minutes for Quinn Hughes on the power play. He was out there on the first unit, in the tail end of the second period because the Canucks were just coming off of a penalty kill. Had to get Hughes out there uh, to lead the charge as Alex Edler was tired at the time. And this was a huge, uh, I won't say point of contention, but a highlight moment from Travis Green's postgame presser, which might have been Travis's longest press conference in the history of him being a coach of this team. That postgame presser ran for nearly 15 minutes, and the highlight was Thomas Drance of The Athletic asking the coach what he liked and if he liked the way the power play looked with Quinn Hughes out there on PP number one. 
<laughs> uh, Travis Green said uh, he wasn't a fan because they didn't score. And then the whole room burst out into laughter, and uh, Green followed it up with, you guys are a bunch of beauties, which... You know, you know you're feeling good. You know everybody's loose when the coach is having a good time joking up there on the podium. That's what made, you know, Elaine Vigneault so endearing to, to so many fans and media members over the course of his tenure here. He wasn't afraid to crack jokes when the time called for it. And if we can see a little bit more out of that from Travis Green, because I, I would imagine Travis has that side of his personality, but things have been... A little dismal for his club since he took over the coaching duties of the Canucks and maybe hasn't gotten the opportunity to flex his personality as much as he might like. Now, there was another big takeaway from Travis's postgame press conference as well, and that was when he made a spirited defense of Brandon Sutter and Sutter's role on this team. And, hey, tip of the cap to Sutter as well. As much as I roasted him on Tuesday's show, he showed up Wednesday night and delivered. Two goals from the third line, though I guess he was kind of stuck out on changes a couple times because he was out there playing wing with Pedersen uh, more than a few times. Uh, of course, Miller out there as well. And look, I w- I'm open to being wrong. I, w- I want to be challenged on my biases. As I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm open to the idea of this team being better than I think. I'm also open to the idea of Brandon Sutter being better than I think as well, and maybe it's the fact that this team finally has enough depth that he can be cast into a fitting role for him, something that he is suited for, because that's not been the case over the last little while. And, of course, you know, Jim Benning didn't do him any favors by comparing him to Patrice Bergeron and Jonathan Taves from the moment he was brought in. Uh, he, He didn't fit the role that he was cast in on those teams, and it might have been because the guys in front of him weren't there to put him into the role he's ideally suited for. I want Brandon Sutter to be good. I don't want to come on this show and roast him night in and night out. I don't want to, you know, hate any of the players on this team, but you have to look at the way that the results have gone over the last several years. Did people hate Eric Branson because he was a whipping boy in Vancouver? No, they hated him because he sucked. He was awful. He was one of the worst defensemen in the entire league, and Pittsburgh is finding that out for themselves right now as well. Uh, look, it's not because guys hold vendettas against certain players. It's that certain players come in, make certain salaries, take up certain spaces on the roster, and don't fulfill their end of the bargain. If Brandon Sutter can put together a kind of season this year that justifies the fact that he has a letter on his sweater and someone like Elias Pettersson or Brock Besser does not, then I am very open to the idea that, yes, he's good and he deserves to be here. I want this team to be good. And, hey, as much as I made the case for Sven Berchi last week saying that any criticism that you have of Sven Berchi is also true of Sutter, I also have to absorb that lesson and say that any criticism that I have of Sutter is probably true of Berchi, and I love one guy and detest the other. There's room for both on this team. And I will be very happy if they are both on this team. I just want Sven to come back, but I don't want to bang that drum too many times. I just... You know, I must concede, yes, Travis, I am one of those guys. I am one of those people in the media who has been actively trying to drive Brandon Sutter out of town. It's not because we dislike him, though. It's just because of the results that he's put up and the the cap space that he takes up as well, especially on a team that finds itself in a cap crunch at this stage in its development cycle. you got to free up money somewhere, and if... Brandon Sutter has not lived up to his paycheck, which he certainly hasn't over the last three years, then 
you know, maybe that criticism was fair, but at the same time, you have to adapt your opinion with new information and new results. And he was pretty good this evening in, in the exact role that I roasted him for on Tuesday, being a depth option that rotates up and down the lineup. I mentioned, however, that he was out there with JT Miller and uh, Elias Pettersson at one point. Got to talk about that new look top line because I did mention the fact that uh, things did get shaken up in Tuesday's practice and the Canucks did roll in with brand new lines on Wednesday night. It was JT Miller playing up on the top line with Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser, and that line was fabulous. Absolutely wonderful. JT Miller, he's got the skill game to keep up with those guys. I mentioned uh, the other day as well, uh, Daryl Keeping's advanced statistics and analytics kind of informing the lines that he wanted to see, which included calling Nikolai Goldobin back up and rejoining him with Elias Pettersson because of the success that those two guys had. The case to put Goldobin on Pettersson's wing is also a case to put JT Miller on Pettersson's wing as well because you just want to see PD play with gifted playmakers who can mentally keep up with him. In fact, that's the same argument for putting Quinn Hughes on the first unit power play. You want your thinkers, you want the guys who think the game at the same rate, have the same flair and creativity to play together because ultimately that's going to be for the good of the team. And the early results on that line together, well, it was JT Miller's best game of his career in terms of point production. One goal and three assists. His goal was a bit of a fluke as well. Just went in off the skates of Kovalchuk as Miller tried to uh, really wire a hard pass onto the stick of Pedersen that you know Pedersen would have ripped like an insane one-timer off of. Instead, no, that hard pass just banks right in off the skates of Ilya Kovalchuk like a pool shot. And... Look, as we get excited about the fact that all these guys scored incredible goals, Quinn Hughes, of course, the first career goal uh, for him in a Canuck sweater uh, in the NHL, in fact. Uh, that goes without saying, but that was a very exciting moment as well and very similar to the moment, of course, a year ago when Elias Pettersson had the opening goal at home in his first season. Uh, you know, very different goals, but just the timing of them perhaps very similar and allowing our expectations of what these kids can be to just skyrocket out of control. As much as we're excited about all these goals and, and this early result and this team being different perhaps than it showed in the first couple games, the same emotional reasons that maybe cost them the games in Edmonton and Calgary are at play for their great showing on Wednesday as well. And it's the fact that all three games that the Canucks have played thus far have been home openers for the respective home teams. It's very rare for teams. I mean, it's not entirely uncommon, I guess, for teams to lose their home openers, but you're more fired up off the emotion of playing to your home crowd for the very first time. And uh, the Canucks had all kinds of extra reasons to be fired up as well, not just that pregame ceremony, handing the C to Bo Horvat and trying to live up to the moment for him as a teammate. But all five of those guys who joined them uh, in the pregame ceremonies, those veterans that I mentioned, the retired former Canucks who came out uh, during the player introductions, all five of those players came in and uh, met the team in the locker room before the game as well. That's got to get you extra fired up. So there are all kinds of emotional reasons for the team to have this offensive explosion. But also you have to consider the quality of your opponent as well. And now Drew Doughty can run his mouth as much as he likes about how it's fucking embarrassing and a team like that should not be beating a team like us in this way or 
whatever he happened to say, something in that vein after the game. Uh, sorry, Drew, it's not 2014 anymore. The LA Kings are not very good. We knew that coming into the year because we knew that as what they were last year. They were just objectively terrible last year, and they did nothing in the offseason to improve. So as much as we're excited, as much as there are all kinds of uh, emotion and, and you know, we want to change our opinions and plan the parade, that's not a good team across the way. And Jonathan Quick, my goodness, horrendous between the pipes. There's a reason why he never got pulled by Todd McClellan, and that reason is that McClellan wants this guy to find some sort of rhythm uh, between the pipes for the LA Kings, he didn't have any at all. He looks like a shell of the goalie that took this team to uh, two Stanley Cups earlier in the decade. And look, that happens to everyone. Age comes for us all. I had to take a day off of podcasting last week because my back hurt. I'm not one to talk. It's just, uh, you know, you, you think back to that tweet that the Kings sent out about 11 years of our goaltending being better than yours. It might have been nice for the first uh, three, four, five of those years. It's not going to be good for the back half of that contract, and we're already seeing that right now. That's a bad team. That's a bad goalie. They had an awful night. We'll see what the Canucks look like for real, I guess, because we're still figuring it out. What is this team? We're going to know. We're going to have a better idea when they take on the Philadelphia Flyers this coming Saturday night. And because there was no episode yesterday, you are in for a treat. You're going to get a bonus game day preview on Saturday morning. We're going back to a morning schedule for the rest of the week here. So I will talk to you tomorrow morning with more thoughts on this game because, oh boy, there's all sorts of stuff to get into. We'll probably talk a little bit about Roberto Luongo on tomorrow's show as well. Look forward to that because until then, you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks part of the Locked On Podcast Network.